Good morning, church family. So great to have all of you here. Those of you who know the stories of Narnia will know why I did what I just did over there. You may discover later on. I've got to be true. I would have always wanted to do that. So welcome. And if you are new, then uh, this is a quite different service to what we normally do on a Sunday, but there's a good reason for that. And uh, if you're usually here, you know the grown-ups are here, the kids are over there. But today we're celebrating, and today I'm going to use some of the children to help me with my sermon. The reason for this is we want to help you understand what our kids have experienced this past week um, at Holiday Club. We want you to get a little glimpse of what was going on in their hearts and in, in our church this past week. Narnia, the Holiday Club that we had, is all about something that I like to refer to as a better story. We live in a world that tells us a certain story the whole time. The world that tells us that our story is about how educated we are or how much we can produce or or how happy we are because we live in a certain place or a certain time. It's all about us and about what we can have and what we can accumulate. And, And really, the other stuff doesn't matter. We can't of live in a world that is, I think, summarized by that bumper sticker that I haven't seen for a while, but, but it says this, he who dies with the most toys wins. And the truth is, we think that there's a much better story than that. That it's not about accumulating the most toys, but that human beings were put in on this earth by God so that, so that we can live a better story. And so we invited the kids here to experience the story of Narnia and, and to discover that there's a better story. It's not simply about us. It's about this fantastic world that God has created for us. It's not simply about power in the sky one day when we die, but it's about a real world that you and I can live in and make a difference today and tomorrow and for eternity. So, so the world of Narnia is a fantasy world, and it was created by a man called C.S. Lewis, Clive Staples Lewis. And, and he was born in Ireland in the 1890s. Uh, he, his mom died when he was quite young. He was phenomenally brilliant. And at this point, I should probably, if you're wondering why I don't have a beard, it's because this week I was C.S. Lewis at the Holiday Club, and so I shaved my beard. And those of you who like it off, I'm sorry, it comes back tomorrow morning. I'm just telling you that. I'm just telling you that. But, but C.S. Lewis was a, a phenomenally brilliant man. He grew up in a Christian home, but as a teenager, he became an atheist. And during his life, he, he then became a professor of English at Oxford and then at Cambridge University. But at the age of 32, he discovered a better story. He rediscovered who God was. He says one of the problems he had when he was an atheist is that he was angry with God for not existing. But then at the age of 32, through friends, one of his best friends was J.R.R. Tolkien. Imagine that, the Lord of the Rings guy. Imagine hanging out, and he did literally hang out with him all the time. 
And through that influence, he rediscovered who God is, and he became a Christian. He says he was the most reluctant convert in the whole of England. He said he he didn't want to, but God drew him, and he discovered a better story. And from that moment on, he said, I was determined that not that God wouldn't just be part of my intellectual world, but that God would be part of everything I ever did in the world. And so he began to write stories of a place called Narnia, so that, so that children could discover the beauty of knowing God and being in a relationship with him. He wrote a lot of other stuff as well. He wrote a lot of apologetics. Every book that C.S. Lewis ever wrote, you should try and read. They are amazing. But this morning, we want to use the Narnia story to help our adults understand that there is a better story in this world. And I want to do that by introducing you to a few of the characters of Narnia. There are literally thousands. We can only do three this morning. Otherwise, we'll be here until tomorrow. And the first character is a, is a girl called Lucy. Lucy, in many senses, is the heroine of the story. And I want to tell you a few things about Lucy, but I'm going to ask, there are some children here are going to help me with this, aren't they? Who's going to help me with Lucy? Or do you want to go through the cupboard? <laughs> She's been through the cupboard once or twice. There we go. Can you tell the folk your name? My name is Jordan. Jordan, lovely to have you here. Can you tell us some of the things you learnt about Lucy at the Holiday Club? Lucy is the youngest of four children in her family, and she definitely was the most faithful. Lucy was the first to enter the world of Narnia, and when Lucy came out, she believed in Narnia. Lucy believed in Narnia even when her siblings did not, and they teased her about it. In the book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, she was eight years old, and she, in the end of the story, she got crowned Queen Lucy the Valiant, which means she had lots of courage. Fantastic. Well done. Do you have any of the books? Yes, I do have them. All of them? All of them. Well, I was going to give you one. So I'll tell you what, if I give you a copy of The Magician's Nephew, do you promise then to give it to somebody who doesn't have it? Yes. Fantastic, Jordan. Thank, Thank you, you so much. <laughs> Lucy the Valiant. The, 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 the better story that Lucy tells is a story of faith. Throughout the book and throughout the other books that Lucy is in, she's always the one who's a step ahead of everyone else. She's the one who first, through faith, discovers this world of Narnia, as, as Jordan was telling us. She's the first one who's brave enough to step into this world that nobody else believes in. And she comes back into our world, and her brothers and sisters simply don't believe her. And she says, it doesn't matter. I know what I saw. I know what happened. And then later on when she steps back into the world and they're having amazing adventures, there's some times that they can't see the next step. 
They can't see God in the story. And Lucy's always the first one to glimpse God in the story. One of my favorite lines, and, and you'll, have to, you'll have to either watch the movie if you have to, or you'll have to read the book, The Voyage of the Dawn Treader. In that story, they are lost in the dark. Who's not afraid of the dark? Everyone's afraid of the dark. And, and all of them are lost in the dark. And Lucy goes up to the top, of, top mast of the ship. And there everybody's crying and is terrified, but an albatross flies over, and the albatross says this, but no one except Lucy knew that as it circled the mast, it had whispered to her, courage, dear heart. And the voice she felt sure was Aslan's, and with the voice a delicious sweet smell breathed in her face. What a picture of having the faith to believe in somebody or something when nobody else does. And one of the things we taught the children was faith isn't something that happens to you when you're mature or when you're grown up or when you've gone through a lot in life. In fact, often that steals faith from you. We taught the children that you may even be the youngest but you can be filled with faith because God gives gift of faith. There's a story in the Old Testament. There's a story of a young man called Gideon. And, and God's people are completely trapped by the Midianites. There is no hope for them. They've completely given up. And God appears to a young man called Gideon. And listen to what it says in Judges chapter 6, and the angel of the Lord came down under the oak of Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Abiezerite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press. Just understand how stupid that is, threshing wheat in a wine press. Why? Because they were terrified of the Midianites. They were stuck in the dark. There was no hope. He was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep from the, it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Now, I'm not going to put the verse up, but Gideon's response to that statement is this. Excuse me, you've got the wrong guy. And he goes on to say, I, I, I'm telling you how wrong you are. Israel is weak. The tribe I belong to is the weakest of all the tribes of Israel. The clan that I belong to is the weakest tribe, weakest clan in my tribe. My family, just by the way, is the weakest family in our clan. And also, just so that you know, I am the weakest person in my family. Basically, he's just said, I am the weakest person in all of Israel. You're wrong. And God says, I'm not. Lucy is the youngest. And she's the one who constantly shows the way. Because faith is something that God gives to us. But we can't tell a better story unless we live by faith. 
We cannot tell a better a story unless we are prepared to live by faith, unless we are prepared to step out into the world and say, God, I will go places where you won't where I don't think I can go. God, I can't speak in front of all those people. Yes, you will. No, I won't. Yes, you will. Okay, I will. God wants us to have a better story, but it has to be a story of faith. So there's a second character I want us to learn about this morning, and his name is Edmund. Young Edmund, and who's here to tell us about Edmund this morning? Come, come. I may have two people telling me about Edmund. No? Awesome. Bam. No, no, what is your name? Nathan. Tell everybody in the microphone. Edmund Latu, his brothers and sister, and he bullied his brothers and sister, and he called him her names. He lied to his brother and sister, and he teased his sister, and he called her names. And what else? He liked to eat turkey. Uh, he liked to eat Turkish delight. <laughs> Fantastic. And and whose whose side was he on in the beginning of the story? Was he on Aslan's side or was he on somebody else's side? The White Witch's side. He was on the White Witch's side because he told lies about his brothers and sisters, didn't he? Was he did he stay on the witch's side? Yes. Are you sure? Didn't he get rescued and end up on Aslan's side? Yes, he did. Yes, he did. Nathan, thank you so very much. You have been amazing. So in the story of Narnia, one of the children, his name is Edmund, he's the second youngest, and he's nasty. He teases his brothers and sisters. He tells lies. But more than that, he betrays them all to the white witch. He's somebody kind of like us. Somebody who may in his heart be well-intentioned, but who ends up betraying and stabbing others in the back and denying those who we love. I know that every single one of us have done that to others. I also know that every single one of us have had that done to us. We can both, we can identify with both sides of Edmund's story, can't we? We can look at others and say, you have betrayed me. And when we examine our own hearts, we look into our own hearts and we discover this, I have betrayed others. But here's the best part of Edmund's story. Although truth is he was addicted to Turkish delight, although he had done terrible, terrible things, there is a better story because Edmund receives forgiveness. Because Edmund receives a gift that God wants to give to each of us and for us to give to each other, the gift of forgiveness. The gift that says, even though you've betrayed me, I will still 
love you. Even though you've betrayed me, I will still sacrifice myself for you. There's a beautiful moment in the story where Edmund is rescued. He's rescued from the white witch. He still hasn't experienced forgiveness. But him and Aslan are sitting talking and and the rest of the family are watching it from a distance and, and they don't know what he said. But then Aslan returns to everybody else and he says this to them. Here is your brother and there is no need to talk to him about what is past. Here is your brother, the one who betrayed you, the one who hurt you, the one who teased you, the one who damaged you. But I want to tell you this, there is no need to talk to him about what is past. Why does Aslan say that? Because Aslan knows he is going to provide a gift, and that gift is called forgiveness. In Luke chapter 23, verse 34, we read these words spoken by Jesus as he hangs on the cross, dying while he is being crucified. And he looks around him and he says this, Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. Uh, can you imagine the casualness of those soldiers? They, they didn't even care that they were executing somebody. All they really cared about was the clothes of this person that they were busy executing. And he looks down and he says that about them. Not about us, you know, we're different than them. We would have cared. We would be a little bit nice, maybe. Or maybe not. And he looks down and he says, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they are doing. Folks, if we're going to live a better story, if we're going to tell a better story, we have to understand how forgiveness works. We have to understand that no matter where I've gone, no matter who I have betrayed, no matter how much I've hurt other people. I hear people tell me all the time, Pastor, you don't understand. You don't understand how bad the things are that I have done. I want to tell you I'm a pastor. I'm not naive. I do. But I do know this, that when Jesus died and he said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. He meant you. He meant you. He meant the worst person in the whole world. When he said that, because he wants to give forgiveness to those who will take it from him. There is a better story, but you cannot tell it unless you have experienced that forgiveness. You cannot live it unless you've experienced that forgiveness. Imagine if we lived in a world where we truly forgave each other. And you see, we cannot forgive each other until we understand that Jesus has forgiven us. So there's a final character in the story that I want to teach you about this morning, and his name is Aslan. And Aslan is a lion, and Aslan represents Jesus in the story. And I I know somebody's going to help me with this. Who's helping me with this? Ah, thank you, Kathy. Good morning. Good morning. 
could you tell everybody your name, please? Aaron Ray. Aslan is a good lion. He is the king of Narnia. He is. He's a good lion and he's a king of Narnia. Can you tell me, um, is he scary? No. No. I think I know why you don't think he's scary. Because you know him, don't you? And so that's why he's not scary for you. Can you tell me, Aaron Ray, he, 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 he makes a plan so that Edmund can be forgiven, doesn't he? What, how does he let Edmund be forgiven? What happens to him? Does he, does he get killed? Does he get killed? He gets killed, doesn't yes. he? Yes. Yes, he gets killed. He takes Edmund's place. What is your favorite thing about Aslan? That he's kind. That he is kind. Aaron Ray, thank you so much. And there we go. Enjoy your book. So perhaps one of my favorite portrayals of this kind lion Aslan comes quite near the beginning of the book. The children are new in Narnia and they've met Mr. and Mrs. Beaver animals, some of them, can talk in Narnia, and they're having a discussion on this fact that they are going to meet Aslan, and they're really excited about meeting Aslan, and then the fact comes out that Aslan is a lion. Now they're not so sure anymore, and Susan asks the question, if Aslan is a lion, is he safe? Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Don't you hear what Mrs. Beaver tells you? Who said anything about safe? Course he isn't safe. But he is good. He's the king, I tell you. Of course he isn't safe. But he is good. He's the king, I tell you. Folks, so often we want people to be drawn to God because we want to tell them that their life is going to be okay after that. We hear people say to us, if you just connect with God, if you become a Christian, you'll be healthy, wealthy, and wise. Your life will be perfect after that. That's a lie. That's a lie that will result in people never telling a better story. Nobody writes stories about a guy who wants to buy a Volvo. Nothing wrong with Volvos. They are very safe. Folks, we don't live in a safe world. And the God who we serve is not a safe God. He's good, but he's not safe. Because he wants a better story. He wants people who will go out there and risk and and. And the Bible is full of that kind of stuff, isn't it? The Bible is full of a God who is not safe, who says to a stutterer called Moses, go back to Egypt, even though you're guilty of murder, go back there and let my people go. He's a God who leads his people through a desert, a desert. He's a God who's prepared to come and live in the womb of a teenage girl and be born into this world in poverty and live and be executed by the Romans because he's not safe. 
but he is good. Folks, that's what we've been telling your children this week. That there is a better story. And that Lucy and Edmund and Aslan and all the characters of Narnia tell that story again and again and again. And that the word of God, the Bible, tells that story again and again and again. And that God wants you to be part of that story, that better story. Because the truth is, the story of C.S. Lewis and the story of Narnia is the story of all of us. It is a story of a God who loves us. Even an atheist professor. I don't know where you are with God this morning. I don't know. But here's something Lewis said. He said, you can't go back and change the beginning. But you can start where you are and change the ending. You can't go back and change the beginning, but you can start where you are and change the ending. But the truth is, it's going to need faith. It's going to need forgiveness, and it's going to need Aslan, Jesus, the Savior of the world. And so this morning, as we get to the end of of what I want to say to you this morning, I want to ask you this question. Which story are you telling Are you telling the old boring story, story of the guy with the Volvo? Or are you telling the story of Narnia? Are you telling the story that God has written for you and for me? The story of a life lived with purpose that changes the world around you. And I want to, I want to pray for you. Perhaps you've been on this Christian journey a long time, but, but your faith has, isn't what it used to be. You just don't see Jesus as often as you used to. You've stopped taking risks. You've stopped stepping out. You think, oh, that alpha thing, I couldn't possibly sign up for that. I couldn't possibly ask a friend to that. By the way, you can, and you can sign them up afterwards. And so if you've lost some of your faith, I want to pray for you now. And so I'm going to ask folk to close their eyes. I'm going to ask you all to close your eyes as I pray. And if you were that person who says, I... I've lost some faith. Would you just put up your hand for me so that I can pray for you? You can just put it up and take it down again. Thank you so much. Thank you. I see those hands over there. I see that hand. I see you guys over there. I'm loving seeing parents and their children putting up their hands together. That's fantastic. Lord God, for those who are struggling with where their faith is right now, for those who are struggling and say, I want to tell a better story, but I'm afraid to step out, give them courage, Lord. Give them faith. Make them Lucy's and Gideon's, we pray. And so now I want to pray for folk who are struggling with forgiveness. If you are somebody who says, I'm I'm not, I've done too much, I can't be forgiven. Or if you are somebody who says, I know I ought to be forgiving so and so, God help me to do it. If you're somebody who's just, forgiveness is a hard thing for either for you to accept or give. Then why don't you put up your hand now so that I can pray for you. Thank you. Thank you. We struggle with forgiveness, don't we? All of us do. Thank you for doing that. God, thank you that, you, that you, you pour out forgiveness. 
that, that you, it is in your very nature to forgive. God, may we be Edmonds of this world who put out our hand and say, I have betrayed those who I love the most, but God, you will forgive me because you died for me. God, thank you for the gift of forgiveness. And so now I want to pray for one last group of people. If you've never entered into a relationship with Jesus, if if this is the first time you've really thought about the fact that you need to have a relationship with God, firstly, I'm going to invite you to put up your hand. Don't do it yet. And then if you'd like to, after the service, just for you, you folk, if you'd like to go into the chapel after the service, somebody will come and pray with you there. But if you want to come make a commitment to Jesus Christ as your Savior, can you just quickly put up your hand so that I can see it, so that I can pray for you? Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I've seen a lot of kids put up their hands. Folks, that's exciting. Lord Jesus, thank you that you love me and you died for me. Thank you that I can step into a relationship with you. Lord, thank you that you have forgiven every sin that I've ever committed. Lord, with that said, we want to worship you now. And we do that because you love us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, Aaron.